Do you love God, but sometimes struggle to love yourself and others in a way that's patient and kind? Is maintaining peace in your life a challenge? Have you tried all the diet plans and fitness programs and even submitted those plans to the Lord, but you still feel stuck? Maybe you've never learned how to truly care for your body in a way that doesn't lead to shame. If you have the desire to walk in the freedom Christ has given you, I'm here to tell you that health, healing, and freedom are available to you in the home of your good body. If you've ever felt drawn to our instructor training programs, but didn't feel called to lead a fitness class, Live Well Training is for you. You'll become a Live Well coach equipped to use physical and mental health practices to lead others to pursue a wholehearted faith. Our team of experts will guide you through research-backed physical and mental health practices that lead to lasting change. You will learn how your physical life integrates with your spiritual life. You'll develop skills that align your thoughts, emotions, and decisions with the abundant life Jesus intended. Use your Live Well training for personal growth, one-on-one -on -one coaching, small group facilitation, creating a culture of health and wholeness in your home, and so much more. You aren't too broken, too messy, too far gone, or too out of shape. Come let God surprise you as you give Him your heart and your body too. Take the first step towards a faith-filled, wholehearted life. Download a packet to get started. Well, hey friends, it is a big day on the Revelation Wellness Podcast. You know, every once in a while, we get a guest that we have been waiting to get for a long time. We get the guest on the show, and today, this is a special one. John Mark Comer is on the podcast, y'all. Here's why it's special. John does not do many interviews. Uh, he just stays about the father's business of writing books and creating the content he creates. So he's not one to do podcasts. So it is a privilege and a delight to have him on the podcast today. He is talking about his new book called Practicing the Way. Be with Jesus, become like him, do as he did. Y'all, if you don't know who John Mark Comer is, he is a New York Times bestselling author. Maybe you heard of a little book that he put out called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry and also Live No Lies. I loved those books, but everyone, this book, this book, I devoured it from front to back in probably three days. Everything about it is Revelation Wellness. Everything about it is everything we're trying to put into practice, these physical and mental practices for a wholehearted faith. John Mark is passionate about making disciples, apprentices of Jesus. He is a deep well. I could not uh, fit every question in that I had for him because his answers are fantastic and robust. And I hope we can get him back on the show. But if you have not listened or have not heard of John Mark, you wanna listen to this today and you wanna go get his book, Practicing the Way. Um, we talk about the things that make a true disciple and what comes against us in this digital age. I'm not gonna go on, I just wanna jump into this conversation because I have been counting down the days to get to release this to you all. And we look forward to how this is gonna bless you. Please let us know. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast, leave a comment, and uh, let's make some noise about God doing good things 
as he's raising up disciples, not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And you're going to be encouraged as John Mark teaches us what it takes. All right, friends, thanks so much. Donors, thank you. Don't thank you for making it possible for us to be here and to get good news like this out into the world. You are breaking generational chains of physical and spiritual poverty. We love you all. Have a great day. Peace. All right, Revelation Wellness community, this is a big day because we have been waiting for this one. John Mark Comer, you are here with us today and we could not be more excited. Thanks for coming on the show. Very happy to be with you and your radiant face. Thanks for having me on. You're so sweet. So we knew we had to get you on this podcast because of this book. Well, way even before your latest book has come out, it's called Practicing the Way be with Jesus, become like him and do as he did. We knew we needed you here a long time ago. We also know it's hard to get you on a podcast. So we are very honored (laughs) that you said yes to this one. Um, I had the joy of spending this uh, few days with you this summer in Maui. Uh, Shout out to the Beth Keys, the art of teaching. Shout out to that. I've I've talked about that. That was really fun. It's every year, you guys. I'll be back next, um, next summer. But uh, we got to connect for the first time in person. I met your wife, Tammy, um, prior to getting uh, to know you. Um, and she is, I honestly wrestled about having Tammy with you on this show because I love her so much. Oh, yeah. She is far more likable, far more godly, far less hurried. <laughs> She's the one. I'm moderately helpful in lecture format. And she is <laughs> extremely helpful in life she format. Fantastic. She is deep water. She is centering i would think yeah. i mean i'm just being in her presence so i, no, I feel she is. So... she's very calm very grand I mean, she's suffered a lot and yeah that's that's formed a a deep well and kind of pole star in her being you know for sure for sure yeah her story is incredible and you touched on it a little bit in this book but before we go there let's talk about first of all maybe say people who don't know who you are, because there could be a few. Sure. Tell them a little bit about who you are and where you are right now. Yeah. yeah, my name is John Mark Comer. I am born and raised on the West Coast, grew up in California, but spent the last 20 or so years in Portland, Oregon, church planning and pastoring a church by the name of Bridgetown Church, right in the urban core of Portland. And, you know, Portland has got to be the farthest left and one of the For most real. secular cities for sure in the United States of America. So it was a real, um, from Silicon Valley in my childhood, then up to Portland, and then we recently relocated to LA. It's been, you know, a lot of my life has been working out what does discipleship to Jesus look like in a Mm -hmm. post-Christian, secular, now digitized and distracted kind of chaotic moment. And, um, you know, early on in my pastoral life, I remember I used to kind of fumble for language and say, uh, my heart is to help Christians become disciples. Mm -hmm. And then when many years later, I discovered the writings of the philosopher Dallas Willard, that is a key theme in his writing that, you know, we've created this two tier model in kind of the American church that is not a New Testament model. You don't see it in the four gospels. You certainly don't see it in the teachings of Jesus, but where you can kind of become a Christian without becoming a disciple or an apprentice of Jesus. And so, you know, Willard famously said, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus. 
And um, so when I discovered that kind of in-depth thinking that, you know, was kind of already there in a chaotic way in my heart, it just felt like it set the trajectory for my life. So that's much of my work as a teacher and writer and was my work mm. as a pastor. And now um, about a year and a half ago, we started a nonprofit called Practicing the Way, same title. And uh, the book is kind of the the book version, but yes. we're trying to create resources that help people slow their very overly so busy good. lives down through spirit, ancient Christian spiritual disciplines to really ground themselves in the quiet of God and of deep community and be transformed as they live as disciples of Jesus. And you have a podcast, by the way, called Practicing the Way. Same same title, right? Um, yeah, we just started a podcast called Practicing the Way. We have a number. We have one called Rule of Life that we've been doing for a little bit, uh, where we kind of take a season, four or five, six episodes on deep dive on practices or spiritual disciplines that we're in the process of mm -hmm. developing a resource for. And then uh, I have another one floating around the internet somewhere with my. You got a few, yeah. yeah. I've 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 been following here and there, but I definitely enjoy anything you're talking about because John Mark, you are one of the few teachers that, from the pulpit, I think, are from that place of taking a moment in front of people, do practice an embodiment that you do realize I'm a body up here. Mm. speaking and teaching as much as I'm speaking from my heart or from my intellect that you recognize the the wholeness of the gospel. Have you always been that way? No, I mean, no. I, and like most people, I came into the best things in my life through pain, you know, <laughs> and uh, which on the backside is often a grace. No, I mean, I grew up in the heart of what at the time we would have called evangelicalism, that word has lost its meaning. And there were some great things about it. I'm really grateful for the foundation it gave me, you know, of discipleship, the high view of scripture, a sense of, you know, a moral vision and an age of moral relativism. But unfortunately, evangelicalism, which is not an ancient movement, it's the last couple hundred years, but kind of was born around the same era as the Enlightenment. And it unfortunately kind of uncritically adopted a couple of Enlightenment assumptions, such as what philosophers call Cartesian thinking, uh, as in the philosopher Rene Descartes, who famously said, I think, therefore I am. And the Enlightenment yes. had this yes. new view of a human person that you would hate. That was kind yes, of the human I being do. is a, you know, what was the, what's the, what's the, was it Thomas Edison who said the purpose of the body is to carry the brain around or something like that? It was kind of uh -huh. this brain on legs kind of thing, the, the human computer almost, you know, yeah. you just need to put the right software code into the, you know, processor that is the brain and out will come the right life or behavior. And that, of course, is certainly not a Hebrew view or a, a scriptural view or a historic yeah. Orthodox Christian view. But it is the dominant Western view to this day. I mean, it's slowly but surely starting to change because science does not even remotely agree with it, much less scripture. Um, and so the tragedy is, and this is a roundabout answer to your question, That's a where great that, what that will create in a church culture is most of evangelicalism and most evangelical churches and most evangelical Christians 
are built on the assumption that as a person's knowledge of the Bible increases, their spiritual maturity will increase along with it. <laughs> and um, that is at best a wildly insufficient view of both mm -hmm. the human person and spiritual formation. Mm -hmm. And so I um, went as far as I could under the rubric of that kind of model of discipleship, which is basically cram your head full of Bible and sermons and read lots of books. And I'm built for that. I love yeah. the life of the mind. I love scripture. I love reading. I love writing. I'm an introvert. I, I'm in my head all to a fault. I'm not in my body nearly enough. So that took me a long ways, but well, it took me a ways, but mm -hmm. nowhere, you know, uh, there was a, somebody said to me recently uh, who was kind of retelling her story. And she said, I had come to the end of what the typical evangelical discipleship models had to offer. And I remember that moment in time where I kind of got to this point where all of the hearing sermons, listening to podcasts, reading books, and studying the Bible had done a lot of good work in my life so far, but it was no longer really working on the deeper stuff to move me forward in the process of becoming a person of love. And so mm. stuff that for me would be like, chronic seething anger, not like punch a hole in the wall anger, but just like a contempt that is laces so many of my interactions with my family or my perfectionism, or when I get stressed, my like obsessive compulsive house cleaning and vacuuming five times a day. And it's not a joke. Like, not a bad one to have though. Shout out uh, Tammy must appreciate kids, it to some point. My, your kids. No, 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 no. My <laughs> no, kids no. and my wife, they would much rather have dirty floors than a dad <laughs> and a husband who's Dad's at it again five times a day. No, no, no. I mean, it's damaging to your kids to live that way. <laughs> and I mean, not major damage, but they will certainly be chatting to their therapist one day about dad's, <laughs> you know, obsessive compulsive uh, tendencies. <laughs> and um, my point is another exegetical sermon series through Romans was not likely going to mm. heal these mm. things that now I've discovered are deeply rooted in some traumatic stuff in my body when I was a little kid and, mm -hmm. um, you know, deep stuff that's like multi-generational and all the stuff yeah. about epigenetics. So all that to say, in that, that season of great disillusionment with discipleship, because it was simply no longer healing or forming or transforming the, the most broken pieces and parts of my life and the way I interact with people closest to me, mm -hmm. um, I kind of rediscovered a much more ancient vision of discipleship that is embodied and holistic and emotionally informed and is wow. just as serious about breath work and sleep and Sabbath and exercise as it is about, you know, other things. And it yeah. transformed my life. It didn't fix me. I still have all sorts of issues, but it it got me moving again on the spiritual journey. So that's a very long answer to a very simple question. No, I grew up in a very heady kind of, you know, study the Bible and that's how you grow thought matrix. And I've that, and then my brokenness and my inability down. to self fix my brokenness through, you know, discipleship methods and Bible study 
is what brought me to a more, I think, holistic and more biblical view of the human person and of the formation of the human soul into a person of love. You said the word mystics. Explain that for our audience a little bit. When people hear that word, mystics, they kind of, wait, what's going on? Are we safe here? Have we entered the realm of new age? Yes. <laughs> so, would you tell, maybe just unpack that a little bit. Oh, mystics. yeah. So funny. Uh, you were mentioning our prayer uh, practice right before we started recording. And um, and I uh, want, we do recommended reading along with our practices. And I really yeah. wanted to use this book on prayer that I love called Armchair Mystic by uh, a Catholic writer. And it's a beautiful book on kind of an introduction to contemplative prayer. But all of our like wise counselors like, no, 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 no. You can't, you can't use a book with the word mystic in it, much less one by a Catholic because, you know, too many American evangelicals will freak out. We're trying to Rapture. serve a wide cross, cross section of the church. And I respect that we are trying to serve a, a wide cross section of the church. And, you know, living in Portland and L.A., I'm likely more aware than most people of the dangers of new age and quasi Eastern spiritualities. But... Um, mystic is a biblical word. It's the English translation of the Greek word mysterion, yeah. which is often translated mystery in Paul's writings. And it's actually like a fairly dominant theme in Paul's writings. And there's a theologian by the name of Carl Rayner who has this great line, the Christian of the future will be a mystic or he will not exist at all. Yeah. And um, I love that line. But all I mean by a mystic, I certainly don't mean anything universalist or eastern yes. well i do <laughs> the problem with the eastern yes i do just to clarify the jesus movement is an eastern spirituality hey. just want to clarify jesus yeah. is from the east not from the west christianity yeah. is an eastern spirituality so that yeah. just just to clarify that um we may live in the west but we follow an eastern jesus um for the whole world but uh it doesn't it doesn't mean anything like what I think a lot of people's anxieties dredge up. All a mystic is in my frame is someone who wants to experience spiritually what is true of them theologically. So wow. the New Testament has all of these extraordinary truth claims about how we are in Christ, the doctrine of incorporation, you know, used arguably 160 times in the New Testament. Paul's, you know, beautiful line, your life is hidden with Christ in God, mm. or, you know, his just magisterial stuff about Christ in you, the hope of glory. And mm -hmm. don't even get me started on John 17, which out of mm -hmm. context would read oh, like something in me, out of, in you, you know, in, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, participation in the inner life, the Trinity. So yeah. these are all theological truths. You are, I am right now. We are baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, immersed in the Trinitarian reality we call God in yeah. Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Those are beautiful truths. A mystic is just one who doesn't, who is not content to just read about those truths in a book or hear about those truths in a book, in a sermon. They want to, or on a podcast, they want to experience that truth in prayer and in Christian community. And so that will bring you down the path toward a, a more contemplative, you know, Christian prayer life. And uh, so, yeah, that's all I mean. That's by so mystic. good. Somebody said, that really wants to live the stuff. And John, John Mark, do you want John Mark or John? I go John by John Mark. Mark. You can call me I whatever like John you want. Mark. 
I like but John I go Mark. by John Mark. I like John Mark. Um, you say a word that it just feels, sometimes we can elevate it too high, but seems so forgotten in our faith walk with Christ is to experience him. Now, yeah. we can't live off of an experience. We realize that because then you get that whole emotional high. I've got to have something has to feel great for me to feel God is near. But we deny the power of the experience. And we are experiential beings. We are people yeah. of body and mind and soul and will and emotion. That is an experienced life where we tend to just move up to our head and get a gospel that we believe as a theology. But as it, Jay, who is it? Someone Packer, J.I. Packer, who says that our theology mm -hmm. is supposed to lead to a doxology that yes, we actually do praise. something to praise yeah. a, a response to something that's happened in me, not just information I've received. And in yeah. your book, in your book, Practicing the Way, Be With Jesus, Become Like Him, Do As He Did, clearly that's exactly what it is. To be with Jesus is an experience, an experience, right? It yeah. is to be experienced. To become like him requires cohabiting, cohabiting and uh, doing partnership with him to be like him. And then to do as he did, that's all an experience. So what do you think yes. we struggle with as disciples with the the invitation to experience? What do you think mm. the struggle is for us? Is it just the fact that we're all up in our head? We're too afraid to let go? You talk about the 4% uh, Christians in, in the United States. That's fascinating. So I, mm. what is it that keeps us as a 96% versus a 4 Oh, I mean, I don't think there's one answer to that. You know, let me give you at the risk of being wildly unhelpful, two different answers for two kind of different generations out of this mm -hmm. is a gross oversimplification. When I think about kind of my parents' generation, um, who are kind of staunch Christian, American Christian types of people and lovely mm -hmm. people. Um, I think there is a deep fear, you know, evangelicalism was born out of a reaction to liberalism in the early 20th century. And so fear and suspicion are mm. built into the evangelical ethos. Mm. And there is a fear. And, you know, there's a generation that I grew up with neighbors that are atheists and you know, Christians who do Buddhist meditation, but are still disciples of like I grew up with the weird, pluralistic, you know, Penelope of just all sorts of wacky ideas all around me. Um, but my parents did not. And that was new for them to see, you know, a kind of Christianized culture become a far more pluralistic culture. And you can imagine how that would really trouble the yes. soul and create in people a fear that is not all illegitimate and a paranoia that is illegitimate of, you know, anything experiential. So if you have a evangelical ethos that is one built on fear and two Cartesian, that's yeah. all very heady and Bible based, then you can imagine how there would be a fear, suspicion, paranoia of anything, quote, experiential now part of the major problem there is when people hear the word experience they equate it with an emotional high correct and that's a gross mistake so right now you and i are having an experience i'm not correct. and i think this is a delightful conversation you are a delightful <laughs> person but i'm not like on an emotional high you know what i mean i'm not gonna like <laughs> sure get done with this and be like oh my gosh my life my I'm life has changed 
Yeah. I'm going to get done with this and make a cup of coffee and have a meeting with my staff. You know what I mean? So, but this is an experience. So when I, you know, this morning in prayer was experiential, but it was quiet. I, at no moment did I weep or jump or dance or have some, you know, inner convulsion. I just had this quiet, Mm. you know, prayerful. I prayed a psalm. I listened to God for a while. I watched the sunrise. I tried to do some deep breathing because I'm really anxious this week because of a really stressful work season. It was deeply experiential, but it was Mm. quiet. It was gentle. It was, you know, solitary in this case. So experiential spirituality doesn't necessarily mean, it may mean emotional highs. You know, my wife and I occasionally have emotional highs, but both of our mar- most of our marriage is very experiential and very yes. ordinary and humdrum yeah. and daily yeah. and sweet yes. and gentle. You know, how was your day? You know, give me three feeling words for whatever, yeah. you know, what are we going to buy the kids for Christmas? You know? Yeah. So um, all that to say for an older generation, I think one of the reasons people shy away is fear, paranoia, a more Cartesian kind of view yeah. of what Christian spirituality is for younger generations, you know, and again, it's different everywhere. Again, I'm born and raised in the West Coast, which is its own echo chamber. Um, but mo- the people I interact with in Portland and now L.A., those fears are almost non-existent. I mean, to a fault, like people, mm. I, people need to have a little bit of a healthy fear of mm. demonic beings and other spiritualities yeah. that are not yeah. all benign. <laughs> And people are, I think, often far too naive and gullible and open-minded to a fault, you know, um, because of the moral relativism. But I think, thankfully, I love it because so much of the work I'm doing is trying to help people experience God. You could call it contemplative prayer. You could just call it quieter forms of prayer. I I want people to deeply slow their lives down for yeah. union with God and one another. Yes. So with young people, the the main reason I think that people don't experience God is simply hurry, busyness, digital distraction, distraction. overcommitment, distract. Yeah, it's not so much that they have this fear or that they have this, a lot of them will make time for yoga or they'll even do mm. mindfulness, but they won't do mm. prayer or they mm. would, they're exercising. Like they have a more mm. kind of holistic view of the body often that doesn't, and they don't see that as in contradiction or competition with their Christian faith, but as an outworking of it, which I think is right. Um, but the the level of busyness, the yeah. digital distraction, the way people yeah. are, are compulsive, addicted to their phones, sleep by their phones, sleep with their phones, check them yes. constantly. Yes. All of this makes for, you know, spiritual life is not fast. It is not quick. You know, Henry Nouwen once called prayer, and I think he was actually quoting Dr. James Houston from Regent University in Vancouver, BC, who called prayer wasting time on God. Ooh, that's and good. he didn't mean that prayer is a waste of time. Come he meant on. In, in our kind of frenetic, crazy culture built around accomplishment, accumulation, prayer is such a slope. It takes me, when people are like, yeah, I pray 10 minutes every morning. I'm like, I, you must be so much godlier than me because it takes me 20 minutes just for my brain to stop, yeah, you know, freaking <laughs> yeah. out just to like <laughs> yeah. have my body calm enough, my central nervous yeah. system calm enough that I can like yeah. really attune to God. So it's just, it's not a quick process. 
and it can feel wasteful in a culture like ours. But for those who discover life in God, prayer is, is first off the best use of your resources you could ever imagine. Yeah. And it's not a it's not a discipline. It's not a habit. It's not a it, it, it just any more than joy is. It just becomes yeah. a lifeline. Yeah. Yeah. So when I hear you say and talking about experience, not being an emotional high, not always, it can have that, but yeah, it can be, but most I, of mine aren't. Yeah. What I hear you saying though, it's really to be experiential in our life with Christ is to be aware of a moment that we're in, to be present in a yeah. moment, oh, even that's if it's well a said. quiet one or mm-hmm. an engaging one in relationship or a struggle one or a joyful one that it's just, mm-hmm. can, how can I just be in this moment? And be fully oh. John Mark Comer. Yes. And, and aware aware of God. I like to say, you know, sometimes when I teach on contemplative prayer, I'll try to help people suss out, like, what's the difference between mindfulness and Christian contemplative prayer? Because mm-hmm. they there are some similarities, and but there's mm-hmm. also some radical differences. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one of the differences, and there are more, is that if the purpose of mindfulness is just to be present to what is in the moment. Mm-hmm. The purpose of prayer, in particular contemplative prayer, is to be present to the goodness of God in the moment. Come on. Right. So, you know, not that you're not also deeply present to your coffee or tea or the sunrise or your breathing or the stress you carry in the back of your neck. Yeah. Um, but your your want it's it's deeply personal in the sense of it's an interpersonal interactive it's a re- prayer is a relational experience it's not just you know mm-hmm. technique or breath work or sitting mm-hmm. in the right posture it's not just mental hygiene of letting go non-judgmentally of thoughts of anxiety and shame it's sure all of that is great but mm-hmm. ultimately you are trying to clear out that clutter to be present to the god who is always present to you in love you know, I, I tell this story in the book that I found Marjorie Thompson tells. Um, oh, my gosh. The Marjorie Thompson spiritual formation story. I have told it more times, John. Oh, you have? Okay, tell retreats. us. Oh, okay, I love then, it. So then you retell talk it about, for the listeners because I, I was new to it and it just oh, melted my heart. Uh, and every time I've used it in a class, in, in whether I'm doing a, a stretch class, a breathing class, a body movement class, when we've settled down into our you know, parasympathetic nervous system and just sitting because a lot of what we do at revelation wellness is help people get in their body work out some of the stress and the tension in a way that is not the gospel of peloton which at some point i want you to share that because i love how you talk about that (laughs) um but it's the gospel of jesus working ourselves out working it out and and Mm. living in this very stressed world in a way that we can become aware and be present to the lord so at the end of any cooling down session if i use this story he talks about it in the book Marjorie, what is her name? Thompson, spiritual formation yeah, director. Yeah, Presbyterian kind of retreat leader, spiritual director uh, person. She tells this story an 18, of an 18th century priest and a peasant. And the priest is in the sanctuary every day, sees the peasant showing up, spending hours upon hours in his pew, just being present, not sure what he's doing. One day the priest gets curious and asks the peasant, what are you doing here all day? And he says, I look at him, he looks at me, and we are happy. Mm. Every time I say that, the whole room goes, oh. oh. 
I'm not kidding. The whole room goes, oh, they want to cry. I look yeah. at him. He looks at me. We're happy. Like it, it literally, when I read that, prayer. oh, mm-hmm. everything, I, even just now, like it just falls off me. And I think, to, and I almost can get weepy to think how much yeah. we miss out on some stuff in life and how distracted well, we are and busy. Yes. And how we miss that because you have to, that's, and I feel like to get your spirit to that place is an embodied journey. Like it's it's interesting that you use it at the end of a workout in mm-hmm. cool down or in breath work. Mm-hmm. I was uh, earlier this morning. I was I think I can say this. I was pre-reading uh, my friend Tyler Staten, who uh, took over yeah. for me as the the lead pastor of Bridgetown Church, a dear friend. So I was pre-reading his upcoming book. It won't be out for quite a while, but on the Holy Spirit. And mm-hmm. he tells the story, which I was aware of the gist of the story of when their uh, third son, who has since been born and is now healthy and thriving so far, but when he was diagnosed, I think eight months before, like early on in the pregnancy, with a horrific uh, kind of uh, heart condition where the odds of him even surviving childbirth were very, very small, and the odds of him surviving it with no permanent you know, physical and mental impairment were almost non-existent. And he has, he's had three heart surgeries, open heart mm-hmm. surgery. He was in the hospital for years, but he's, I was with him a couple of days ago. He's a beautiful, healthy, happy little boy. But that was, the odds of that are in the single, low single digits. So, you know, the night he tells the story of like going to the doctor, ultrasound, getting this news, coming home, not sleeping all night long. And he's an avid runner. And so he got up at 4 a.m. and went on a like painful run. Like he, and he couldn't even pray to God. He was just so anxious, so freaked mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. And he went on, you know, he's in, he's in impeccable shape, but he went on this like punishing run. And then he sat down pouring sweat. And that was the first time he could actually pray to God. And he had an experience of the Holy Spirit of a, a profound mm-hmm. infilling of peace. So, um, all, I just thought that was so interesting. Like that profound moment of quiet, still prayer was after a 4 a.m. Like, you know, pounding run. I mean, you're helping people experience God this way after they've flushed out yes. all this anxiety, ambient anxiety in our nervous yeah. system, you know. So whether it's through exercise or through breathing and drinking a cup of tea or through going on a walk with wow. your dog, I think getting to a place where we have the capacity to look at God looking at us mm. and being happy together. It is an embodied, it's not just a mental journey. Yes. Um, your mind and you know, mental focus is all part of it, but you know, your your brain is in your body and um it is an embodied journey that we have to go on that involves the whole of life, you know, because yeah. the thing of it's focal practices is what the philosopher Albert Berg- Borgman called it, but you have the capacity to pay a deep attention to someone or something that is necessary for this kind of prayer is a capacity that we need for all sorts of other things that we either have or don't have. And right. so certain activities like exercise or mindfulness or breath work can actually grow this like capacity in us that we rely on, not theologically, but mystically practically and to practically. experience God. Practically, just pragmatically. Mm-hmm. Yes. If you can't I, pay that... attention, you can't pray in this right. kind of a way. And that's why what I love about what you're doing are the practices. There are some practices, and not all of them are for everybody, but something surely is for somebody. 
to sure. grow in discipleship of becoming an apprentice of Jesus. It's a practice. You say this on page 81. I have to read this. It says, uh, the philosopher James K.A. Smith said it well. You can't think your way to Christlikeness because, again, practicing the way of Jesus is less like learning quantum physics and more like learning Aikido. It's something you do with your whole body. Love isn't an intellectual theory. It's an embodied way of being. Mm. <laughs> and then who is it? Is it you that said it? I mean, John Mark. I don't even know. I know you told us a little bit at The Art of Teaching how much study goes into a book. But your books are worth buying just for all the Dallas Willard, the Marjorie Thompsons, <laughs> like where are these nuggets found? What 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 kind of like catacomb of goodness of ancient scrolls and scripts have you found where? Because the book itself, I mean, I don't even know how many pages of footnotes are here, but all that to say, this uh, you at some point talk about like the highest point of of knowing in our if we're growing in our apprenticeship to Jesus is how are we at loving? Yeah. How much more love have we become yeah. how much more loving how much more loving have you become john mark well first off you'd have to ask my wife and my children not me and uh that's true <laughs> that's a true <laughs> statement and sadly it's much easier to write a book about spiritual formation than it is to be spiritually uh, formed. formed you know <laughs> and and life is not linear. I mean, the, the danger for particular control-oriented personalities like my own, but for anyone who begins to take their spiritual formation very seriously and attempt to bring a high level of intentionality to it and really do all that is in their power to open themselves to God for growth and change, is you quickly come to the end of yourself and fall on God's mercy because you for all sorts of realize, realize for all sorts of reasons, you realize you are powerfully incapable of self-salvation. Oh, yeah. And um, you also realize that we're not in control of our spiritual formation, that it's not linear, that yes. there are seasons to life. You know, yes. I'm in one now. We've been through it without going into any of the details. Last three years have been most difficult my whole adult life. Mm. And in those seasons where you kind of come apart, you know, I'd like to believe that five years from now, I'll say, oh, man, that that breakdown was my breakthrough. And, you know, God did all this stuff through it in me. But right now, I just and I, I, I think some version of that story will get told in a few years. Yeah. But when you're in it, you just kind of feel like you're coming apart and you're stressed, yeah. and you're exhausted and you're on edge and all your yeah. attachments are getting exposed by the circumstances of your life. And you certainly don't feel in those seasons like you're becoming more loving, joyful, mm. and peaceful, and patient. Mm. And then there are just seasons where you're just carrying the weight of life, and life is not ideal. And um, you know, you just have a lot of adult responsibility on your shoulders, and you have mm. family you're providing for, or employees mm. you're caring for. Like there's just work to be done, and you can't get it perfect. So I think I'm painfully aware both of um, what, how people can get unstuck in their spiritual journey through things like adopting the practices of Jesus and of how nonlinear, non-controllable, non-formulaic hmm. 
it is and how True. there are those seasons where you just man you're just <laughs> you just fall on the mercy of god yeah. you know Amen. you do what you can you do yeah. all the things you can attempt to live a disciplined life and care for yeah. your body and your soul and practice yeah. spiritual disciplines living yeah. in community but there are still just seasons when you know life is hard it and is. we fall on the mercy of god in those times mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Gosh, I have so many things we didn't get to talk about, and I don't want to take all your time, but I have two things. One, in the most succinct way possible that you can, no pressure. Talk, yes, to, talk, to, us, so talk to us about, no, I'm the same way. Talk to us about the gospel of Peloton. Go. <laughs> oh, goodness. I just got off the Peloton bike. Right I know. Call. I <laughs> thought, so we got a Peloton years ago for a couple of years ago, actually right before COVID broke out, which turned out to be serendipitous. Um, yeah. but, uh, my wife, we got one for my wife, classic kind of American story. And I was like, <laughs> I'll never do it. I was a runner at the time. And, but I love it. It's so fun. But I was shocked when I started to take my first classes because I mean, these incredible spin instructors, I mean, gotta be some of the best in the world, yeah. but, and I've been learning a lot from them, but, um, just, I mean, it's like a sermon. You're listening to a sermon, yes, but it sir. is like, indoctrination in you know this weird mix of like kind of secular but not really spiritual but not religious self-actualization tiny little bits and pieces of buddhism and hinduism but not really mostly just wealthy <laughs> upper mobile selfish secular people that want to make a lot of money have sex with people and look super good and it is just this, you do you, speak your truth. Some of the things that are said on there, I just like, you can't help but laugh at. They're so ridiculous. But I love it. I'm I'm a firm, committed. And it's a gospel. And, and, and the teaching but it that... is a worldview. It is it's a right. gospel. Yes. It is a worldview. It is a nobody, nobody can love you if you don't love yourself. You got to love yourself first. It's a it is a fascinating worldview that I think is exhausting. If I had to live yeah. by that worldview, holy cow. I mean, it's empty. It does not line up with reality. There's bits and pieces of truth, of course, in it. Right. But what an exhausting worldview. And you notice there's nobody there over 40. And so yeah. like it is it is not the kind of for the view worldview that's going to carry you. It's not for the marginalized. Through old age or no. poverty, yes, poverty where you can't buy a bike that costs the price of a small car. Yeah. And um, it is, it is not a grounded worldview that will carry you through. It's a upwardly mobile, youthful worldview. That's I'm sure a helpful delusion for a time. In the meantime, but, I find it, and it wonderfully helpful for my workouts. For your health. And, well, and one, I'm inviting you to always use any RevWell TV. We have all of those workouts and more where Jesus and some goodness is Come at the center. on. That's what we're told. It's like where Peloton cannot take you. Yes. Revelation Wellness will. Um, but you talk about that in the bo a book about how it's not uh, whether or not you're believing a gospel or preaching gospels. What gospel are you preaching? What gospel are yes. you believing? We are all taking yes. in that. And so for such. Such a person is this book. Y'all, this book, I we are starting a new track of training in Revelation Wellness to bring up some health mm. coaches, people that want to work with others and have Christ at the center be the, mm. the focal point. Uh, and I, when this book comes out, this will be a book that people, we're going to ask them to get and read because it is practicing to be with Jesus, become like him and do as he did. I, I'm just grateful for you, John Mark, that you... Um, 
for your life and for what, for the pain that you lived through that got you out of your head and into your body and what you're teaching us as you go. Mm, I want to just you, thank you. So kind of you. I'm deeply grateful to be with you today. Okay. Now three quick fire off questions or quick answer questions before you go. Best favorite way to move your body? Peloton. Um, or walking. Running. I know you're a walker. Yeah, walking. Oh, running. I'm a walker. Yeah, walking in the, you're walking. Done. There it is. Done. Walking. We didn't even get to the habits of your day that you embody stuff. And I love that. You shared that at that Art of Teaching. That was really good to hear how, oh, so he gets stuck too and goes for walks and has yeah. to make margin in his day. So, okay, walking. Um, Coffee, tea, or kombucha? What's your go-to? Coffee. You're a coffee guy. And then finally, uh, if you're going to get on your Peloton, is there an athleisure wear brand? People are very brand loyal here that you wear. Oh, uh, no, I'm really, I'm really passionate about labor ethics. And it's almost <laughs> impossible to buy uh, any athleisure wear that is made justly. And so, wow. no, I have... Um, no, I, I work out in some old uh, Patagonia shorts that they've repaired for me like three Last times. Last forever, and yes. Like, they last forever. And I have an old Nike shirt that I wear that's probably 15 years old from before I learned about labor ethics. And I just won't, I just haven't bought anything new. So it's pretty nasty. And I literally like, we live in Southern California now, so it's easy. So I, I hang it on this little spot in our backyard every day. It's <laughs> warm out just because I'm like, this is so gross and wash it once a week. So that's way too much information. T-M-I. That is amazing. That is like, that opens up a whole nother podcast that I needed. Like, wow, labor ethics. Yeah. And our athleisure wear, which I probably now have way too many of. So yes take that up with the lord <laughs> well no i didn't say that in a judgment no judgment no, i I'm know saying, i know. know no it's a good observation though and yes. now i'll have this vision so you would be every... very underwhelmed by me in my like old <laughs> and your ratty old nike t-shirt and your polyester go that's gonna last for 900 years but not biodegrade <laughs> not breathable but not biodegradable <laughs> all right well john mark everyone go get his book you can get it on amazon or i'm sure do you have a john mark comer or practicingtheway.com. Yes. Yeah, you can either go to practicingtheway.org or johnmarkcomer.com. Awesome. All right, John Mark, thank you so much. And thanks for having to me. Have on. you back some point in the I'd future. love that. You're a delight thanks, to talk to. Thank you for having thank me. You. Thank okay. you. Friends, we hope this episode blessed you. And if you love it as much as we did, would you share it with a friend? And be sure to swipe up on the show notes. You will find all the links mentioned in the episode. Let's keep the conversation going. You can leave us an audio message and tell us how this episode sparked something in your heart. We would love to hear from you and hear what you think. Thank you for being here and be sure to connect with us soon in all the places. Peace.